This is Dr. Wendy Penn, the Glow Doctor, and welcome to episode two of my podcast, Glow Job. And I wanted to discuss New Year's resolutions, but heading into this holiday season, divorced made me rethink that. I know so many women navigating this are contemplating ending relationships that it just seems more relevant to me. So my wonderful friend Erin Jolie is back and willing to join me again and get real about her married divorced Christmas. And I'm just finding no matter where you are in the divorce process, the holidays can bring a lot of baggage front and center. It is December 23rd and today's F word is formers. So Please enjoy diving in with me and my guest, Erin Jolie. We're going to get real about our former husbands and what our divorce situation has been over the last couple of years and what that looks like. So welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, so fun. So tell us a little bit about just yourself and where you are in your divorce process. Okay. I am 50 years old, and I my divorce was just final last week. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a long, miserable process. <laughs> I had a very long divorce. Um, I was married for 27 years. It would have been 28 years next week. So I think they call that a gray divorce. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but to tell you about myself, I'm from the Midwest. So I was born in South Bend, Indiana, and I moved to Michigan when I was two. I grew up in a farm town, very small rural uh, community. I went to a very small rural high school. My parents got into some pretty heavy-duty financial problems my sophomore year of high school and to the point where everything got repossessed by the banks. Mm. The house was taken. The cars were taken. And so at 15, almost 16 years old, we became homeless. As a teenager, you know, I went to Michigan State as a freshman Uh, I failed miserably because I went to a very country school. I'd never seen a syllabus, never learned to take notes. I remember sitting in class and wondering what everybody else was doing. (laughs) 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 I'm like, this is really interesting. Um, And so I had to, uh, you know, pull up my big girl panties and come home my sophomore year of college. And I went to community college for a year, still had a full-time job. Um, I have all kinds of crazy stories about my jobs working in the cafeteria at the dorm, but I came home, um, moved back into my parents' tiny little apartment, went to community college for a year, and basically uh, the community college to me was kind of like the 13th grade. Mm. I learned all the things I didn't learn in high school, how to be a college student, and then I applied. I came, had come out to Arizona on spring break in the middle of winter. And uh, thought, what am I doing in Michigan? You know, like, <laughs> it's beautiful here. And really, at the time, ASU, so this will date me, was only $1,000 a semester to be an in-state student. 
And I was paying, I think, $8,000 a year, $4,000 a semester um, to go back to Michigan State. So before the internet, before anything, I applied for a Blockbuster video card. I um, opened a bank account and I applied for an Arizona driver's license while I was out here visiting and start. So that's how back in the day, in the early 90s, they would track residency. Okay. So then, Blockbuster video card. My Blockbuster video card. (laughs) Yeah. So when I came out to um, ASU as a junior, I started as an in state student. I waited tables to put myself through college at Marie Callender's, which now I don't think there's a Marie Callender's in existence. I don't think so. No, it's just frozen food now. Yeah, frozen pies. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I remember my roommate had a, a dog. And I would come home from work and the dog would go crazy because my shoes would be covered with whipped cream and that meringue <laughs> from all the buys. Um, but, you know, it wasn't easy, but I got through school. But I met my ex-husband while I was still finishing up my education. And I think I got married at 22. And I, I guess, you know, everybody's got their own path. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get married at 22, but I think you change a lot from Mm -hmm. 22 to, say, 28. There's a lot of personal growth. But I think in retrospect, now I look back, why did I get married so young? I think it was the whole synergy thing. I'm starving. He was starving. Like, we're both trying to make ends meet. Well, um, my parents were very religious, so living with someone outside of marriage at that point in time would have been a huge uh, no-no. My parents probably wouldn't have ever talked to me again. So I see now where that led to me getting married at 22. Mm -hmm. At the time, it seemed like a great idea, but maybe it wasn't. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that's just a little history of how I made my way to Arizona. And I feel like how my childhood impacts me even now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I definitely feel insecurities about finances and Going into the divorce, you know, you and I have talked before about how you want to give your kids the same Christmas Mm -hmm. that they are used to Mm -hmm. and that that picture is changing in many ways. Definitely. We will will definitely dig into that a little more. When I hear your story, which I was familiar with some parts of it before, but not all of it, it's so traumatic. Yes. Just that financial insecurity and, you know homelessness and, you know, not having social life and extracurricular activities in high school, you know, it's such a formative part of your development. I, my, my heart breaks for high school, Erin. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And, you know, my story, there's some similarities. My, my dad um, was in the air force, so we lived all over the place. So never really had like those lifelong friendships or things like that. It made me close with my brother, which was great. But I ended up going to college at WVU in West Virginia, which while it's a big college town, also still a little bit rural. And I just knew I had to get out of there. Yes. And (laughs) I waited on tables as well at a seafood place. So I always smelled like grease and old shrimp, (laughs) which a dog would probably also like. Yes. But um, probably popular. (laughs) Had a great time with that. And I ended up meeting my former husband. I was out of college, but wanting to go back to medical school. So had graduated, but was contemplating going back. And I, when I look back at it now, you know, I didn't have the financial insecurity that you did, but money was always super tight. 
And it was yeah. always a topic. You know, I think that part of the draw for my relationship was he was going to leave West Virginia mm-hmm. when he graduated. And I was like, I'm going with you. It's your golden ticket. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, he had a career that I assumed would be stable. Right. And that was very attractive to me. And then, you know, we were young. I was 27, so a little older than you, but really dumb. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, we all know. think we're so smart in our 20s, though. I thought I was a fully formed grown up. Yes, mm-hmm. and you can't you can't <laughs> see it till much later in life, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, for me, it was sort of an escape thing and a security thing, and and I still see that now as I with the divorce, like you said, you know, the the insecurity is a fear for me for sure. So. Super interesting how that stuff doesn't leave us, you know. No, I just remember all my classmates from high school going to, a lot of them were farm kids, so they mm-hmm. were going to take over the farm. A lot of them were going to work at Steelcase, which is like a big furniture, industrial furniture factory there. I mean, a lot of them weren't going to college. A lot of them were going to work at the grocery store. Right. I mean, you just, I just saw that and I knew I wanted more mm-hmm. or even though now I think there's something really wonderful about the simplicity of the life that some people have there, mm-hmm. I I appreciate that now. But at at the age of 20, when I left Michigan, I was like, "Whoo, I got to get out of here. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to run a farm. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't want, so <laughs> I don't want to work at the grocery store. No. <laughs> I um, went to high school in West Virginia also, and my parents scraped together money to send me to a private Catholic school. They were also very religious, and it was small. There were 30 kids in my graduating class and only 13 girls. And it was a big – it sounds dumb. It was a big sports school, even though we were small. So they were all about the the boys and their Uh, athletic skill, and they would recruit from out of town and things like that. So, Well, I would think every guy in your class could play every sport with only 30 kids. (laughs) They did, and there were 12 cheerleaders, and I was number 13, not the cheerleader. So that was – They they made me like the sports assistant, so I'd make the bulletin boards in the weight room. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was like the coach's assistant, which was way more fun. So because there's only 30 kids in my class, 27 of us are friends on Facebook. And so I've never had to go back for a reunion because we all know what everybody's doing Doing anyways. (laughs) But a lot of them are still there. A lot of Catholics, a lot of kids. Some of them went into politics locally and things like that. And I still, when I see that, I'm so happy for them and so glad I left. Yes. You know, definitely a small town vibe. Every reunion I go back to, I get voted the most traveled because I live in Arizona. (laughs) You're the farthest away. I'm the farthest the, away. It's exotic, Erin, <laughs> in Arizona. They call me Hollywood, and oh, I just think it's funny because, yeah. I mean, they're they're all wonderful people. It's just cute that I'm always the most traveled, and that's because I live in the Southwest. So I think that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I can see it. Tell me what your biggest fears were when you realized that you were going to get divorced. I have a list, so I know you do too. Oh, well. I had some things happen that before I knew I was going to get divorced that I started becoming afraid because I knew I was in trouble. Mm. And one of them was I was out shopping with my friend Carrie and we were at Nordstrom and we were doing the whole back to school thing. And this would be probably about three years before I filed for divorce. She was a Nordstrom card holder. And she's like, you should get a Nordstrom card. You're buying so much stuff today. The amount of points you're going to get. 
it really makes it worthwhile. And I was saying to her, oh, I'm not allowed to have my own credit card. My ex was very controlling about the finances. We have just a joint card and I'm supposed to use that for everything. And then she was like, and if you met my friend, Carrie, she's hilarious. She's like, hold up. (laughs) You're not allowed to have a credit card. I'm like, oh, he would be really upset if I opened an account. And she's like, yeah, but you're saving all this money if you do this. And I started thinking about it and she goes, plus she made the point at any age, you should have your own credit card. It's just, it's just makes good sense. And I, I guess it had never crossed my mind. So at the counter, I'm checking out and I said, could I apply for a Nordstrom card today? And of course they make that very easy for you. You know, <laughs> just put your phone number in here, blah, 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 blah. And they call them up on the phone and I quickly got denied. And I was shocked because I'm coming from a high income household. Um, we basically pay cash on the barrel for everything. Um, my ex is a, a managing director of an investment bank, hugely responsible financially. So I immediately thought that I was the victim of identity theft and that something had been going on behind the scenes with my mm. social security number that I didn't know about. So I came home in a panic, calling. Um, the Nordstrom has a number that you can call after the fact to find out why you were declined. And the lady said something really interesting to me that I did not expect. She said, you know, it's not that you have bad credit. She's like, you're basically in line with a deceased person. She's like, you, it's as if you don't exist. You have no credit. (sighs) And I'm sitting there like, well, how can that be? You know, we've been having this joint credit card for years and we own this beautiful home together and we have cars and, you know, and so that's, when I had a really come to Jesus talk with my ex, like what's happening here? And anyhow, I realized that he used a Quicken account card and that I was listed as his employee, not his spouse. So I wasn't building credit. Mm -hmm. And that when we paid cash for everything, I had, there was no payments being made. Mm -hmm. And then we had a family trust, so everything was in the name of a family trust, which didn't have my name on it. And I quickly realized that if I couldn't even qualify for a department credit card, that wasn't even a visa. We're talking just like a department store card Mm -hmm. that I had to to do something. And so my ex did not want me to get a credit card. He's like, why would you need it? Everything's taken care of for you. And over over the years, our credit cards had been stolen once, and so he had put $200 per day restrictions on uh, what I could withdraw from the bank. And of course, you know, when you're raising kids and you're busy and you're going along Mm -hmm. with stuff, you don't think anything of it. But I realized if I really were in a situation where I wanted to do something, I would have access to $200, and I have no credit score. Mm -hmm. And so anyhow... We can talk about how I worked on reestablishing myself as a human being again. Right. Um, Not deceased. Not deceased. Not, yeah. (laughs) So anyhow, that's when I knew that if things didn't improve, that we were headed in the direction of not staying together. But I, that wasn't even an option for me until I fixed the things that were going on until I made myself a relevant human being again, basically. Did you 
view that at that time at all as a way he was controlling you? Because to me, I'm just sitting here and it just sounds like he's got you in this financial prison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I used to call it my gilded cage. I'm Mm. in this beautiful home and I have, I mean, in some ways I I had, I had a very beautiful life. I could buy anything I wanted. I drive a nice car. Like, so you're feeling like, oh, I, you, you, and I grew up with such a financial trauma Mm -hmm. from my own parent and being homeless as a teenager. So you're just so appreciative of everything. It's hard to view it negatively. Like it's hard to be like, oh my gosh. But yes, I I think that was a huge wake up call for me Mm -hmm. that something was unhealthy here. This was not a good balance, even though we had a very traditional relationship. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. But traditional doesn't mean that one person is master and the other is servant, you know, and I had gotten somehow slowly over time. It's not something that happens overnight. Like Mm -hmm. when you get in a situation like this, it takes years usually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you realize that's where you're at, then I, I had to come up with a game plan for my own. Even if I had decided to stay married, it, it's not a healthy relationship if, one person controls everything right and one has no control at all so mm-hmm. that is very true and so i can definitely see how finances were at the forefront of your concern because not only did you have to deal with you know splitting up the finances and the marital assets you had to figure out how to establish your own credit finances and and i'm I know because I know you that you stayed at home and raised your kids. So you weren't working during this time period. No. Yeah. Yeah. I was a volunteer. I was always a volunteer. I was always room. You were working. I was on the PA. (laughs) I was busy, but yeah. You weren't getting paid for it. No. Okay. So you had this pivotal moment at Nordstrom when you couldn't get the credit card. Mm -hmm. And then another pivotal moment when the woman tells you you're a deceased person as far as credit and finances (laughs) go. So obviously your wheels are turning now. You know something's unhealthy about this and this isn't how it should be. What was the next moment in the journey? You know, because I know that once that box is open, more things become evident. Pandora's box. And I think once you start paying attention, you Mm -hmm. start noticing things that you didn't notice before. I... He had made an appointment with a real estate agent. It was jotted on the corner. And so I um, called the agent. And so uh, the property was half a million dollars. That's a lot of cash. Mm -hmm. And I had no knowledge of it. And then the day that he had the appointment, he told me he was going to work. And clearly I knew he was going up to northern Arizona. So when I confronted that whole situation, I... The defining moment for me was the comment. I said, well, we haven't even discussed this. And he goes, well, we don't have that kind of marriage. Mm. And of course, you know, there's a million things that happen in a marriage that lead up to something getting to that low point. And and it takes two people to tango. So it's like I don't put all the blame in one direction, but that's where I knew that I I was not an equal. I was... I was in a situation where I was dehumanized is how mm-hmm. I felt. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I actually had, I actually was coming in to see you that week as your patient. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Wendy, I might, I might need a name of somebody because I think I'm in a situation here where I need help. And that's the first time I realized I needed to contact an attorney. Mm-hmm. And he helped me draft a letter to stop the purchase of that property because it was my life savings too. Right. And um, from from there, the relationship, I think, was doomed. I think when, you know, you have to use legal help to stop the purchase of something with your spouse, um, it's not going to go too good. Yeah, that, <laughs> so. that definitely, uh, I could see where that got the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. That, so... I, I don't know what the timeline one is after that when I filed for divorce, but it was less than a year. Okay. Yeah. That phrase, you know, we don't have that kind of marriage or that kind of relationship that it just feels so heavy on it, my heart, you know? And, yeah. And in my marriage too, we definitely had a lack of communication and both kind of doing our own thing, like very independent mm-hmm. lives and traditional in a sense too, that he was working and I was home with the kids and doing all the volunteering and baking all the cookies and all the driving in retrospect, see how separate, separate we were, you know, we were leading these two separate lives. Our communication was not good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that becomes your normal, mm-hmm. but I think what I'm learning post living on my own now is that's not normal. I think the marriages and the people that I see that really are like synergizing and working together and maybe maybe I really was doing that with my ex when we were younger. I can see that, but when you start leading a completely independent life of your mm-hmm. significant other, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see it when I was in it until it was too late, but I see that now. When I look back at my marriage, I realized I was looking to other friends and family members to get my needs met. Mm-hmm. You know, And one of those pivotal moments for me was my very best friend, who also happens to be the mother of my niece due to family or family's weird, was getting married. I went with my children and my gay bestie (laughs) and not my husband. Yeah. And we got these fun hotel rooms. We had a great time. We helped with all the decorating. We had a, I don't know why it didn't seem weird to me that my spouse would not go with me to my very best friend's wedding who'd been part of our lives for, you know, our entire relationship and very important to my children. I think you just get caught in this, oh, this is our normal, right? Yes. You know, and that was one of those moments for me where I was like, wait a minute, he was being introduced at the party and they all assumed he was my husband. I'm like, no, he's my best friend. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Yeah. You know, so at what point after sending that letter, and it makes my stomach hurt thinking about sending that letter. Yeah, I, know I sent what, an email. Yeah, yeah, I know what a big move that was. When did you start feeling strong, like that you could do this? I didn't start feeling strong. I think it was such a whirlwind. I was scared to death to file mm-hmm. for divorce. I, I Financially, I was scared to death. But I knew that at that point, if I, ne- I needed to move out and get an apartment, I could do that. I didn't feel strong until I took over my own finances. Okay. I was in a situation where I didn't even have access to any of our financial accounts. I just had a debit card and it worked, you mm-hmm. know, or a credit card and the bill got paid. And I think most people are like, well, it must sounds like a wonderful life, yeah. you know? And in some regards it is, but you know, then there's this backside to it that's not so wonderful. Um, I went to Desert Federal Credit Union and here we had always had all these, you know, Charles Schwab and Chase, we were with all these big banks. And I, I'm like, I want a small town 
feel little bank. I walk into this credit union and they just treated me like a person and they send out this cute like guy, he's probably like 25, uh, newly graduated and I'm like, I need to open a checking account and a savings account and I have no idea what I'm doing. He sat me down and I said, honestly, I need you to teach me like I was a child here. Like Mm -hmm. I haven't managed my own checking account since I was 22 years old. And so this kid humored me and he was so (laughs) sweet and and spent probably two hours with me, like helping me download the app on my phone. Let's pull up your laptop. Let's look at your dashboard. This is how you pay a bill. This is how you take a picture of a check and deposit a check. Mm. Like I didn't know how to do any of that. And so it's when I started getting bills and I would sit down with my computer and and I, I you know, of course I take copious notes on how to do this stuff. And it's not hard. I had always been led to believe that it, this is like such a chore. So I just felt like such a big girl when I like mm-hmm. finally figured out how to manage yeah. my own money and pay a bill. And I made mistakes and I would call people and people were very gracious with me. I think if you're honest with people that that gets you a long way. But Mm -hmm. that's when I started feeling strong, like, okay, I can do this. And it's still, it's, it's an ongoing process. Sure. So I'm still learning. I I have zero idea how to invest. I'm like, I'm trying to start learning how to do that. I mean, it's, I think the thing is it's one day at a time. If you overthink it to the point where you got to do it all at once, you'll make yourself nuts. So I'm just, every time something falls on my lap, I start just trying to figure it out, ask questions. And the more you do that and the more you learn and the more you take control, the more confident you get. Right. Yeah. And I love that you had people willing to help you because we all need yeah, that you have to just be way. honest with people and and be humble. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's embarrassing and you get to be in your 50s and you're like, okay, I don't really care what you think of me. Just be nice to me and help me. And, uh, <laughs> and we, right. we're off, you know. Right. Our stories are a little different in that you basically started your divorce process. Like you saw these things and realized you needed to end this. My former husband left me and I thought it was out of the blue, mm-hmm. but hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. I belonged, I joined this divorce support group and they had this moment where they said, you know, if you were blindsided, then you weren't emotionally close. I was blindsided because we weren't emotionally close. It took four years for me to get divorced. I was married for 24 years. I did not feel confident. I didn't know how I was going to support myself. And I decided that I was just going to be an alcoholic. (laughs) I was just going to drink a lot of wine every night. Yep. I wasn't going to feel this. You know, I was just going to do what everyone else does and open a bottle of wine every night. And I remember I, I stopped sleeping in the master bedroom and I was sleeping in my daughter's bedroom, even though he had moved out and, you know, she was away in college and I was laying in the bedroom, her bedroom, her bed, holding her cat, feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> and I thought, wait, if I keep drinking and not feeling my feelings, I'm just gonna have to feel them later with interest. Like it's going to be even worse processing it later. So I need to just stop drinking, do what I need to do, get through these feelings. And at that moment, laying in her bed, Tiffany blue theme bedroom, (laughs) I decided I was not going to be a victim in my divorce. You know, I'd seen women that were victims and complained for years bitterly about what they got or they didn't got and what wasn't fair. So I just knew that I was going to have to get into some really good therapy and feel these feelings and learn what I did wrong. And I just decided I'm, I'm going to be a powerful businesswoman. I'm going to be a great mom. And I'm going to be 
a wonderful potential future partner to someone. And I knew that was all going to just be my work. And I think claiming that is powerful too. I'm still learning. There's still days I don't feel confident or I feel a little victim-y. I had to declare that and decide I wasn't drinking. And you had to sit down with this sweet guy at the bank and, you know, learn what you needed to learn. And that is, those are all versions of taking our power back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that that just makes me tear well, up a little. we're all lifelong learners. I personally feel so much happier now. Uh, my divorce was final about nine months ago. And I remember one of those ending conversations where my former husband said, you'll thank me for this someday. In what, in reference to what? The divorce? To leaving, to him leaving oh, me. Yeah. I was like over my dead body. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never admit this, except I'm saying it on the, the podcast. I'm so grateful Yeah. because I wouldn't have left. Right. You know, I would have, I grew up in the religious household. I said my vows. And I was sure not people weren't all happy after 20 years, you know, and, you know, my parents were still married. My in-laws were. And so in my mind, everything was fine. You know, the I'm fine. It's fine. It's all fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I am grateful. So the drinking, uh, that's definitely something I started doing the last couple of years of the marriage is um, we had like a separate TV room and I would pour myself a drink and go in there at night. It was self-medicating. You're just so distraught. And so uh, that's when you realize like you're not happy Mm -hmm. and you're trying to find a way to numb the pain. Finding you're happy is definitely the direction to head in to overcome that, things like that. It is. And it's easy to say, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to choose to be happy. And, you know, I know there's a lot of mental health issues associated right. with divorce. And I'm I'm not trying to take that lightly, but I think, you know, sitting in that moment and deciding to take your power back. Huge. Hugely impactful. So I know we both, um, we have kids, we have our kids at home right now for the holidays. And you said something about trying to uh, make sure they have a holiday that's similar to they did growing up, you know, and that's almost impossible now, right? You know, I'm in my fourth house in four four years. So four Christmases in four different homes. Three for me. Three for you. (laughs) We've done a lot of moving. Tell me a little bit about how the holiday is going to look different for you and your kids this year. Um, Well, yes, I think I'll start with last year. Last year, I was still in an apartment building a little house and I decided to do Christmas with my ex, and that meant that I bought everything, wrapped everything, did the stockings, cooked all the food, got up at 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, drove to his house, set it all up before the kids woke up, and the kids came out to this magical Christmas morning that they always had, and I worked my guts out, and after that... um, Okay, after that, (laughs) you had coffee with me. Yes! And I was... Floored. I was I like, girl, you are never doing that again. <laughs> never. If I have to tackle you. Right. <laughs> I think you you and every other really close friend through this was like, what are you doing? And that was the and then after that, the divorce just got so ugly. It's almost like the more I tried to give and the more I tried to keep the normal traditions going the worse he behaved. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that that was the end. Mm -hmm. And um, so this year is our first Christmas that we're in two separate households. We're on a parenting plan. My daughter's in college, so she's an adult, so she doesn't have to follow anything. Um, My son is in high school. So the parenting plan, I have the second half of Christmas break. So I have 
Christmas Day noon all the way through when my son goes back to school uh, January 3rd, but my ex has him now through Christmas morning at noon. And so my stress is I always, I mean, he would help wrap, you know, at the end, mm-hmm. but Christmas was mom's magic. Oh, yeah. You know, I was a nut about it. And so I do have this like these guilty feelings that they're going to wake up Christmas morning. I'm not going to be there. There's going to be potentially no stockings, not much done, no fun breakfast. I always put out brand new Christmas pajamas on Christmas Eve every year. No Christmas pajamas. I'm worried about my kids more than how I'm going to feel waking up alone Christmas morning. I'm more worried about them and how this Christmas is going to impact them that all those traditions that we all treasured, it's going to be dramatically different this year. And I hope they can navigate that. What are you planning for traditions that you have with them? Well, so I'm trying to decide. I mean, I still did all the mom magic. It's all at my house waiting for them. I Mm -hmm. just am trying to decide what's the best way to go about this. Do I actually went yesterday, scrambled and ordered candles, like real candles, Amazon, because I thought we'll do a candlelight dinner. Because my kids, like, for whatever reason, they love the candles. They like messing with the wax. They, Mm -hmm. you know, like, (laughs) it's a mess, but I don't care. My furniture's old anyway, so they can. So I'm thinking candlelight dinner and then maybe Christmas evening we open gifts together. Oh, fun. Just to try and change it up and start Mm -hmm. a new tradition. Or then I was like, well, or do we get up on the 26th and just pretend it's Christmas morning and do the whole Christmas morning thing? But I kind of feel like Christmas Day for me is where it's at. So I'm leaning towards. Okay. But I'm going to ask the kids what they prefer. Sure. If they want to do Christmas dinner and gifts at the night with candlelight, or if they want to get up Monday morning, which is the 26th of December, and just or just celebrate it that day, I guess would right. be a better way to say it. Yeah. So whatever they decide, for me, it's about them and their enjoyment. And so we're just going to roll with it one way or the other. Last year, I had the kids Christmas Eve. And I did something really similar to you with the pajamas and all that. But my my personal favorite thing about Christmas is Christmas morning brunch. Like that's oh, where I put yeah. all my energy. And I asked the kids, I said, since you are not going to be with me on Christmas Day, what are you going to miss the most? And they said brunch. And I said, well, you won't be with me Christmas morning. Do you want Christmas brunch for Christmas Eve dinner? And we did the whole brunch at dinner time at night. Fun. And for them, it was all about the food, you know, the traditions of the food that they love. And we did that. And then four years ago, our first Christmas alone, I started playing all these games. Like you see people doing like the Christmas Olympics, you know, stupid (laughs) games of skill. I started doing that because it just looked like it was going to be this long, endless day, you know, with some person very obviously missing, you know. So I decided to do the games. And now the games are so over the top. I have 15 games planned for this year. They're all about the games. And what I love about it is it's something that's ours. That isn't something that I'm trying to recreate from before. Right. You know, this year I have them Christmas day. So we'll have brunch. I don't have Christmas Eve. And I'm always the one just trying to go with the flow to make it easier for the kids. But I'm having to put some boundaries around that now, which Mm -hmm. I think is a little hard for all of us, but good in the long run. Um, My daughter, after last year, running from house to house, I think she's the one it affects the most. 
said, you know, we're just going to rent one big house and everybody's going to come and celebrate together. I'm not there. I just can't spend a holiday with them. And I love the families who do. And I think that's great. Maybe in 10 years, I'll be indifferent enough to not care, but I'm not there yet. So I like that you're going to ask your kids because I never would have guessed that they wanted like the egg casserole for Christmas Eve dinner. Right. Right. Yeah. So, So I'm excited for you to, you know, create something different together with them. We had crazy amount of gifts and crazy amount of social activities around Christmas. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't get invited to as many of the same things anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like once you're divorced, the social calendar changes. But I really am enjoying the piece of that, I have to admit. Yeah. My parents live out of state. And so I used to just book plane tickets last minute. We'd we'd just go and be on the family farm. My parents did recover financially eventually, and they do have a farm again now. Um, That was over a many year process, but my kids love to go to the farm. But honestly, for me to just grab a last minute plane ticket anymore with fuel costs the way they are for the three of us to fly, it's over $2,400, you know? Yeah. And so then I'm like, well, that's a lot of money. Then I have to rent a car. Yeah. You start having to make some pretty tough calls on where's the money best spent. And right. So. Something I've noticed both of us say a few times our discussion is guilt. We're being awfully hard on ourselves, right? Yes. (laughs) I know I would say to you, you're doing a great job and the best that you can. And you would say the same to me. For sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that'll be a New Year's goal for us is letting go of the guilt. Well, in my situation, I'm the one who decided to end the relationship. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, you feel terrible because you've You've altered the future for your family unit. Yeah, it's just making peace with that. Was it healthy when we were all together? No. And has it been a really hard transition for everyone? Absolutely. Are there things that are better, though? Yes. You know, there's a lot more peace. Even though I don't have my kids with me every day of my life like I used to, I feel like there's so much more peace. I have to imagine that that's a positive impact on them. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think not having a stressed out parent yeah, or, or two. Yeah. Or mom who's like checking out at night because I can't deal with it anymore. That right. was terrible. So I, I feel like I'm much more, my time with them, I'm very present. Mm-hmm. So it's just finding a balance there. I'm still working through it. My my therapist had told me <laughs> that the way I was viewing our new family dynamic was me and the kids, the three of us, and the person that got voted off the island. I like that. <laughs> and she said, but in reality, you're a family of three, and he and the children are a family of three. Mm. And you will both have other partners or people involved right. in this. But I really felt like, Oh, shoot. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I have to support them spending time with their dad. And while I'm not going to go over there and make Christmas magical in his home. (laughs) (laughs) Been there, done that. I have to support them in that relationship. And it it was kind of that light bulb moment that the healthier their relationship is with him as well, the happier they're all going to be. I totally agree with that. I, and that, what a healthy perspective. Mm -hmm. I would have, I love word pictures. Yeah. So by giving you like the whole island and like, I'm like, okay, uh, lots went off in my brain. What's the healthiest for everyone? Mm -hmm. Not just the kids, not just you, not just Mm -hmm. the ex, but I I wish their time with their dad to be wonderful. Mm -hmm. I don't want them coming back to me and, and, and hearing things were bad or, you know, so 
I want that for him and the kids. I think my kids now hit a point. I think they had a lot of fun with their dad and his girlfriend and her family at Thanksgiving, and they were afraid to tell me they had fun. Do you know what I mean? Like they didn't Mm -hmm. want me to hear that it was a good time, you know, but I really want to encourage that. And the more people that care about my kids, the better world it is for them. So yeah, it's all, it's all learning. What are some things that have surprised you about yourself or that you've impactful that you've learned about yourself in this process? I know I have an inner strength that I didn't know that I had. When I look at myself now versus who I was then, I'm a completely different person and I wouldn't have been able to be this person in that relationship. So I find that really exciting. I've learned a lot about boundary setting. So I had to set a lot of boundaries with my former husband because it took us four years to get divorced. There was obviously some animosity in there and power struggles and control struggles. So I really had to work on boundaries and I'm seeing that working in my relationship with my kids, my employees, my new partner. So boundary setting has been great for me. So I'd say the strength and the boundaries are two gifts that I'm really grateful for. I feel so much more confident now. You know, I couldn't have done a podcast when I was married. I would have been way too shy about it, you know, and now I can look back and say, well, I got through that. I can do these other things. I can do hard things. You know, it's a meme or whatever. It's on a t-shirt. I can do hard things. (laughs) I can do hard things. It's like that positive mantra. But I'm not as far post-divorce as you are. Mm -hmm. I'm only officially one week now. (laughs) Right. And the last couple months of my divorce were extremely traumatic through attorneys, but still it's traumatic. Absolutely. What I've learned about myself is... I never in a million years, I I did not have parents who modeled financial responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I was worried that I, can I handle this? Can I do this? And so you, you really do find out how strong you are when you have to move multiple times in a year. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have to take your teenage children and, and go to an apartment and like you were talking about the guild and you feel terrible that these kids are coming from this beautiful home and now they're living in a little apartment. Um, But I realized then that it wasn't about where we lived. It was about who we're with and the kids just wanted to be with me and Mm -hmm. they were just as happy. And the apartment had its nuisances, you know, like we, things we didn't love about it, but, but they were so, they were still happy because they, they were with a parent who loved and cared for them. Mm-hmm. So I started learning that it's less about the material things and more about the relationship. Just that I can I can do things. I, mm-hmm. I am running a household by myself now. I bought a house. I built a house. That was a process. I'm paying all my own bills, managing the kids. I'm going back to work here soon for this amazing doctor I know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's just, I think for me, it's just baby steps. Like I didn't, this all didn't change overnight. Mm-hmm. It's taken a couple years, but the process, you just keep pushing forward. You can't give up. And mm-hmm. there's definitely been days I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like, I can't keep doing this, but but you can get through it and, and you do. Mm-hmm. And you just keep learning. I have the benefit of having known you for years now and I see your resilience and I see your strength and I see the positivity and how you still show up for yourself and your kids and your friends. And so you may feel like you're just coming out of it, but I've seen just tremendous 
growth and change in you. And I'm proud of you and Yay. excited for what the future holds for you because Thank this you. next phase of our lives is going to be the best. I hope. Yes, yeah. I, it has to be. Yeah. yeah. It will. I believe it. Yes. I will. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open with me today. And I know that hearing our stories will help other women that are dealing with the same things and maybe some men. And uh, grateful to have you on with me again today, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So going through this experience of getting divorced, I see other relationships around me from the outside, you know, not judging, but seeing some unhealthy patterns and, you know, women in um, what I assume have to be unhappy relationships. Yeah. After my big eye opening of the position I was in, it makes me wonder how many other women in Arcadia are in the same position that I was and maybe they don't even know it. So All of them. <laughs> I lived in Arcadia too. <laughs>